0: So listen up. Thanks, Kevin. Well good morning you guys. Everybody doing well? Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> I love to have a stool. In the you just dropped a twenty. Somebody will grab that if you don't. Um, In the shed, we're used to confined spaces, and so I can't really get up and walk around too much, so I've gotten used to using a stool over the years, and now I've become dependent on it. So we do have extra discussion sheets for the end if we need them, if any tables are filled, get one to you guys. So my name is Shannon Sword. As uh, Kevin introduced me, I'm the college pastor here at TBC and uh, have been here now for a lot longer than I thought I'd be. I had no idea even where Temple was when we first came here a long time ago, and um, and it's become home for us. And uh, when I came, I worked with uh, high school students, and um, at some point, about 13 years ago, made the transition to college ministry and have loved that. But it really is a privilege for me to come back here and uh, to share with you guys. I really do enjoy it. I, I think every time I do it, though, that there's this sense of, I I don't know that anybody's really going to listen to me. Because I think there's a part of it is there's this sense of, do you know me, do you trust me? And so there's always this kind of fear, I think, in the mind of anybody that steps up in front of 100 plus high schoolers that they're not going to be heard or listened to or cared for. So thank you guys for whatever uh, attention and respect you guys can pay me today. So as our graduates walk in, let me just put a quick plug in, if uh, if by chance you're going to be in the area this summer and you are graduating out of the group, we intentionally do our summer ministry for Sea Life on a Tuesday night, It normally is a Wednesday night, we go to a Tuesday night and we do that, so uh, interns, college students that are interns with you guys as well as those that are graduating can come be a part of what we do in the summer and check that out as well as remain a part of what you guys do on Wednesday night. so uh, so Pulse is happening this summer, if you guys are um, have, have graduated or are about to graduate, we'd love to have y'all. So Tuesday night, 6.30, is going to start at our house for the first uh, month, it's, and it kicks off in a week and a half. There are little postcards in the uh, lobby of, of uh, a big church up there. So y'all are in a, in a series on doubts, is what I heard, and... Uh, and I love the subject because I think in my life I have uh, come to recognize that I have lots of doubts. My, my wife kind of sees me as the skeptic in a lot of things whenever commercials come on the TV that seem to be good, too good to be true, you know, advertising something too good to be true, I'm the first to kind of go, it's too good to be true. But, but there's something about all that that kind of, you, you want to believe it? Do y'all ever, do you ever see the commercials and go, but I want to believe that glue could hold anything, Right? All i got to do is put it on there, and then I zap this little wand on it, Im- immediately it hardens, and it'll hold anything up. I mean, there's so many products that get sold to us, and something in us just says, I want to believe. There's, a, there's an intellectual skepticism that, uh, that Dave mentioned today in Big Church, and then there's an experiential, there's a personal um, doubt that, uh, that we wrestle with. And I'm, I'm here to talk a little bit more about the personal side of things. Uh, I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna look at to begin with a day a 24 hour period essentially in the life of Christ and then I'm gonna share with you guys some things that have gone on in my life uh, this spring in my family's life that have been hard and uh, have definitely rocked my faith a bit they've been challenging um, so uh, can we do that is that okay is that is that cool we're gonna be looking at Mark six and John six if you guys want to uh, make your way there. If it's on the app, then you figure out which one you want to get. We'll, we'll, be, we'll start in Mark, and then we'll go to John. So, And as you do, let me just ask you this. Um, have you ever met someone, and I know you have, where you had such a great first impression of them that you just, like, you knew y'all were going to be great friends? You know, you just, you wanted to be friends. You just knew this was going to be a great connection based upon that first impression. And then as time goes by, the more you get to know, the more disappointment you're wrestling with, because you're just like, yeah, they're not what I what I expected them to be, or they're not what I wanted them to be. Well, we have all wrestled with that, you guys. We've all experienced that in life, and we're going to see a little bit of that today uh, in in these passages. So we're going to pick it up um, in, uh, in Mark 6, and so let me just... Let me just say this. This is the, the peak of Christ's ministry. I mean, Jesus is at um, the, the, the highest point of his appeal, of his ministry's appeal. Matter of fact, earlier in, uh, in the previous chapter, uh, Mark tells us that Jesus sent out the disciples in pairs. He sent out the twelve in, in pairs, and they're to go to each of the towns, each of the small towns around Galilee, and they have a small job. All they're supposed to do is preach the message of repentance, cast out demons. <laughs> small job, right? And then anoint people with oil and heal the sick. And so they've gone to all these places and done that and seen tremendous success in their ministry. And they've come back together with Jesus. And they're, they're wanting to kind of debrief and tell Him about all that has happened and, and the truth is, the fruit of that ministry, right? When Jesus kind of multiplied his ministry by sending them out, it's just created all this, all this excitement, all this fruit. And so the disciples come back, and they cannot even find time to debrief with their Savior. Like they, they, they can't find any time to do that. And it says quite clearly in the text, That they can't even find time, as hard as this would be to imagine, they can't even find time to eat. So we're going to look at Mark 6. uh, Pick it up in verse 30, if I can get there. Yeah, it's before Revelation, Shannon. Okay, back, back, back. So Mark 6, verse 30 through 34, and this is what it says. They had just come back here, right? So the apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and they had taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. In verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. Let me pray. Father, we pray that as we enter into your word and come together as the body of Christ, that your spirit would truly be in our midst, that you would allow us to Uh, Consider the things you want us to consider, to see the things you want us to see, to hear the things you want us to hear, and to change the things, Father, in our lives that you want us to change. We pray this uh, for our good and your glory. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. So the scene unfolds, and Jesus has invited the disciples, has invited the twelve. Let's get away, guys, for a retreat you guys are exhausted. It's time for us to have some time together. Let's talk about what's gone on. We need a retreat. And they they know they must go to a private place, a quiet place, a solitary place, literally across the lake of Tiberias, really to the Gentile side of the lake there thinking they're going to be alone. You can just see the wheels and the disciples' minds turning. Oh, yes, time with our guy, time with Jesus. And when they get there, the people had spied them out, right? The masses figured out where they were going, and they arrive around the same time. And it's like Jesus gets the disciples on the side of a, of a small mountain there. There's plenty of green grass they had just set down. And around the bend come the, those that are going to, you know, blow up the party and 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 who do you think is experiencing some disappointment about now in terms of their expectations who yeah the 12 the apostles i mean they they really thought they were going to get away with their with their with their savior with their friend and they find out that the whole thing is kind of a bust now and on top of that i'm going to pull this tighter on my ear Dave must have bigger ears. Dave or Tim must have bigger ears. Who uses this, this mic? This is Dave or Tim? Both? They have bigger ears than I do. It just means they hear better than me, right? Thank you. Um, so, they, uh, Jesus has compassion on these folks. He looks to them and he recognizes these people are like sheep without a shepherd. And so he says, he invites them to come and to sit down. Now, this is going to be an interesting unfolding of what we're, what we're going to see here. But, but for sure, the 12 are already experiencing some disappointment. Their expectations weren't met. So Jesus begins to teach them. And the next thing that happens as the day wears on is the disciples start pulling aside with Jesus saying, hey, by the way, people are going to get hungry pretty soon here. And we're out in a remote place, and I don't know that they have food, and we definitely don't have enough food to feed them. And Jesus says to them, well, what do we do? And it's like, ah, well. And so they go through this whole thing and come up with, well, we have a boy here who has two fish and five barley loaves. And Jesus says that'll be enough. And he prays over it. He has everybody sits in these in these circles of hundreds and fifties, and the disciples begin to pass the bread and the fish, and everybody breaks off what they want and keep passing, right? And as they finish this meal together, it says clearly everybody had their fill and they had 12 basketfuls of bread left over. Not only was Jesus trying to show that God can provide all the bread necessary, all the food necessary, every provision that you need, but not only for you that are here, but the 12 basketfuls are symbolic for the entire house of Israel, for all of God's people. There's a basket for every tribe. There's more than enough when God is involved. So so don't be doubting that. So the evening comes on. Jesus dismisses the disciples. He sends them back across the lake. And then Jesus, late into the watch of the night, begins his journey across the lake on foot. He's walking on water. It's the fourth watch of the night. They're straining at the oars. There's a heavy... um, um, breeze that is buffeting them they're only halfway across the lake of Tiberias at this point and the big waves are 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 uh, uh, being sent up around them and they see what looks like an apparition what looks like a ghost as they see Jesus walking on the water and it looks like he's going to walk right by them and so they're uh terrified um is uh it's kind of the, the scene that we see here um Let me see if I'm where I want to be here. Uh, We're going to John chapter 6. Follow follow me over to John chapter 6. Actually, I'm going to say just a couple more things and then I'll pick it up in in 6. Actually, I don't think I want to go to John. I think I want to be back in Mark for a minute. So they, um, he's walking across the water. They're terrified. And Peter says to Jesus, this is an interesting scene. They're not sure exactly who this is, and Peter calls to Jesus says, if you are the Lord, then call me out to you. So Jesus says, Peter, come. So Peter hops out of the boat and begins to make his way to his Savior, keeping his eye on his Savior until he becomes distracted by the waves. And all of a sudden, as he realizes all the circumstances around him, instead of seeing his Savior, he begins to sink. I know where this message is going, so I pardon me if I get a little choked up. So he sees the circumstances. His focus is on the circumstances, right? And he cries out as he begins to sink into the ocean. He says, Lord, save me. And it says Jesus reached out and pulled him into the boat. And it says that they worshipped him. The twelve worshipped him and recognized that he is God in this moment. Who could do these things? I mean, picture this scene, you guys. They had just seen the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus sends them across. He comes walking on the water in the midst of these big waves, calls Peter out onto the water. Peter's walking on the water. Peter cries out in panic, Focused on his circumstances instead of Savior. And he see and, and he gets saved by his Savior. And they know there's no one who could do this but God. And they worshiped him. And immediately it says they were on the other side of the lake. So they get to the other side of the lake. And all the people who had witnessed the feeding of the 5,000 had experienced that. are like, man, that felt pretty good having our bellies filled. Let's go find Jesus once again. And so they figure out where he's at. They make their way on some boats across the lake, and they find him. And that's where I want us to pick up in John. John 25, uh, excuse me, uh, 625 says this. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are, you are looking for me not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and, and, and had your fill. So do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. And then they ask Him, well, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is simply this, to believe in the one that He has sent. And this is where their hearts are going to be disclosed for what they are as, they, as, they, as this goes on. And so they asked him, well, okay, to believe on the one whom he sent, but look what they do now. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate man in the desert, and as it was written... He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus replies back, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that he who, uh, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they they said, from now on, give us this bread. Bread. By the way, do you think they're, they're talking about anything more than having their stomachs filled? No. Their mind is so focused on this. Their, their mind is so, their expectations are limited to this. This is what you can do for us. Remember what happened yesterday? We want more of that. That's the gauntlet that they've laid down. So they said, so from now on, give us this bread. Take care of us. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So this is the picture. Remember at the beginning of this conversation, he says, don't work for bread that spoils. Work for the bread that will not spoil. And then he says, I am that bread. I am the bread that does not uh, spoil. And yet their focus was so much on simply having their bell their their bellies fed you guys this is this is a, a, an interesting scene because what's about to take place here is that 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 these folks have said we know what we saw yesterday and we like what we saw the relationship began so good we were so excited about the, this as it began we want to know more about you as long as you will do this for us. These are the conditions. These are the, the expectations. Remember what Jesus had done when he saw them coming, knowing. Do you think, do you think he knew what was going to happen this day? Sure he did. He knew what was about to happen, and yet remember, just 24 hours earlier, he had said, he had taken compassion on them, had them sit down, and taught them, literally fed them spiritually, been that bread, if you will, His teachings, His truth are are that which should be meditated on, that which we should, should digest in our life, understanding the priorities, understanding the passions of God, that we begin to pay attention to these things, to dwell on these things, to meditate on these things, and they will satisfy our soul. And He had compassion on them, knowing that this day was coming. And so they weren't going to have any part of it. They kept, they kept uh, demanding that he give them uh, bread. And here's what's going to unfold. Let's look at John um, 6, 51 through 56. He says, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. In verse 60, and on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Do you think at this point that they, were, that they understood what Jesus was saying? They were he- hearing what he said but they were, they were about to take this statement that you have to eat my flesh and drink my, my blood, they were about to take that and kind of harvest it out of the context because they didn't want to hear anything else he said, and this was going to be the offense. This was going to be the thing that they said, whoa, 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 I can't get over that. Who can do that? It wants to sound like that Jesus is promoting here, you guys, eating flesh and drinking blood. What's that sound like? cannibalism, vampirism, the walking dead, right? I mean, it sounds like, whoa, what, what are you talking about, Jesus? Obviously, this is not the context, but he, knowing their hardened hearts, spoke in this fashion, knowing that the offense that it would cause because they did not want to hear anything else. And it says in verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer Followed him. You guys, this is an interesting scene. Jesus just grows his ministry from thousands. The feeding of the 5,000, most would say that there may have been as many as, uh, it could have been 15, 20, 25,000 people there because the only ones who were counted in the sitting down part were the men. So if you add the wives and the kids, there, there was a ton of people here. I mean, Jesus' ministry was to the multitudes, and he's suddenly going to say something because of the hardness of their heart that is going to cause the kind of offense that's going to cause them to, to turn away. Who's disappointed now? The multitudes, right? They're like, wait a minute, this is not what we expected. This is, you're not doing it right, Jesus. Jesus. We were, we, were, we were doing so well in this relationship until you had to go and, and do that. Until you had to go and say something that we didn't like and, and, and now we, we, we can't have any more of you. And so they, they, they turned back and went their own way. Um, let me ask you this. What is it that maybe you have heard, maybe you have seen in the Word, maybe you've experienced in your own life that has become your excuse not to remain with Jesus. Jesus says some hard things, you guys. You go through the Scriptures, and there's lots of places where you go, man, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That, that I just, I can't, I, I don't know if I can go there. Maybe there's some things that you've heard taught, and you're like, man, that's that's, That's hard. So I think what I'm going to do instead of really walking in obedience or rather than investigating Scripture on my own is I'm I'm just going to keep my distance. I'll be here, but I think I'll just be on the periphery. You know, I'll be one of those who kind of comes and observes from a distance and sees what all this is about. That's okay, you guys. It really is. But here's my suspicion in our lives whether it's something that you've seen in Scripture, whether it's something you've heard taught, whether it was an experience that you had that was like outside the bounds. You're like, no, nope, sorry, I'm tapping out. I'm done, God. I just don't know if I can follow you when, when this these are the conditions. I, I ju- th- you make it so hard at times, Jesus. I mean, you can almost hear the 12. Remember the multitude's these, this is a small area, you guys. They say from one side of Galilee to the other, the, 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 the range where Jesus did most of his ministry may have been about 40 miles. 40 miles. These guys knew, the, 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 the 12 knew those that were part of the multitude. And you can just watch them as they're watching this whole thing unfold. You know, Peter and James going, well, I think, I think I'd be a little confused right now. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. I mean, he could have said it. He could have said it a lot of different ways. I mean, that's—I can see how they'd be offended. I mean, I can—I think they're empathizing with their, their friends right now, and the friends have taken off. Let me just tell you guys um, that in, in, in our life, in my life, it's been a it's been a tough uh, spring. Um, I was uh, doing a handyman job back around Valentine's Day. Um, I'll, I'll do a little handyman work on the side, <clears throat> and I was finishing up a job, and my brother, Jason, called me and said, uh, hey, by the way, Shannon, I just want you to be aware that uh, mom uh, and dad just went to the hospital. Uh, we think that she's had a stroke. And I'm like, what? And so I immediately called Jason back to hear the, the circumstances, and sure enough, um, mom had been eating with, uh, with uh, my daughter, Emma. She had been there. Uh, taking a trip back from Kilgore to, to see them, visit with them. And uh, even Emma had said, yeah, Graham seemed a little off today. I mean, she would kept trying to start saying something and then would say, never mind. And, uh, and so anyway, they, once Emma left, my mom said, we, we better get some help here. I'm not sure what's going on. We come to find out that my mom had not told anybody that back in or as early as November that she had been um, having strange flashes of light, some really, really severe headaches, kind of like migraines. And now she was having trouble um, remembering things she wanted to say, identifying people and identifying things. And and so they take her in thinking what we're going to find is that she's had some kind of a stroke. And so uh, they get to the medical center Plano, and that, that CAT scan said no stroke. So they hold her and say we want to run another CAT scan, and this time with contrast, because we, we, we want to investigate the possibility that there's something inside your, your brain. See if there's a tumor of some sort there. And sure enough, they discovered that uh, my mom has brain cancer. Uh, glioblastoma is the type of cancer. It's, uh, they, they, they felt like it was about the size of a couple of golf balls. And, um, and it was sitting back in the site center, and they suspected... Uh, perhaps also in the language center. And it's not just language the way we think of language. It's like language in terms of your ability to know what something is, like you know, knowing that's a sound booth or knowing that's a table or knowing people's faces and names and all this kind of stuff. All that's part of our language center, you guys. And so we didn't know what was going on, but, but the doc that we were meeting there um, as she sat down, they, did a, they, did, they went and did a biopsy and everything, and it, again, was not good news. And as we sat with her, she says, well, I, I've really got some bad news. Um, this is one of the worst kinds of glioblastoma, which we came to find out later from another doc. There's, there's, there's one kind it's bad. Right? You know, <laughs> glioblastoma is just bad. And, uh, but she said, this is, and, and so here's the thing. Uh, it could be months Maybe there's a little more than a year. Now, you have to understand something, you guys. I'm close to my mom. My mom is uh, 72 years old or was 72 when this happened. And uh, she's had a, a, a tough life. Uh, her, uh, her mother was an alcoholic and abusive. My mom had to leave home when she was 15, live with her aunt and uncle uh, for safety. Uh, she watched her mother abuse her own mother. Uh, before her mother got put in a, an assisted care place. Um, my mom, she, my parents still together. Uh, they had four kids. I'm the oldest of four sons. Uh, my youngest brother, Aaron, uh, was severely bipolar. Ten years ago, he was planning to go out with some, some friends one night and his body was kind of at the end of what it could manage with the cocktail of drugs that he was, had been prescribed along with some self-medicating that he was doing and his body was done. He didn't intend for that to be his last night, but that was his last night. And, um, and unfortunately, it was in the midst of a fight that had been going on between my mom and he. Uh, he'd been living at home. Uh, my mom on valentine 's day, we get the call here in Temple uh, to, that hey, just want you to know your brother has died. That was valentine 's day ten years ago. He was buried on my mom 's birthday uh, four days later. Uh, hard life. Um, matter of fact, it was it would be about five years later that my another one of my brothers, Kevin, also pretty bipolar. Who had been self medicating a lot in his life finally had the courage to go get diagnosed, found out he was bipolar, began to let them manage his medication instead of him doing it. Um, he couldn't sleep uh, for a series of nights, had gone to the doc. They gave him a very powerful sedative. That was all she wrote. He died once again living in my parents' house. Um, And I just, I can tell you guys, I believed that God, the God that I knew, was going to give my my mom in the golden years of her life some some peace, you know? I mean, that she's going to be able to lie down, so to speak, in some greener pastures. I mean, this is out of the the realm of what you should be doing, God. And I, I remember wrestling so much with God through this. I remember coming home after being up there, up and back to Plano, and coming home, and 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 one night just all night long. I'm just reading the Psalms. I'm circling passages, claiming them for my my family, and wrestling with God because He's doing the unexpected. And uh, and one day, matter of fact, my mom called me. They were still um, at. Being cared for at Medical Center Plano, we had an appointment to go see another doc at UT Southwestern, which they did end up at. But that, that next day, my mom calls me. And she says, Shannon, I just want you to know I'm going to fight this. I'm going to fight so hard. I'm going to do whatever is necessary. I don't care how hard it is. I'm going to do whatever is necessary because I want to be here for you kids and you grandkids. And I just kind of had done my own research And know that if you go in and do surgery in the brain and and, in the language area, that there may not be a whole lot left of you to have a relationship with. And unfortunately, this had to take place over the phone. And I tell my mom, I'm like, mom, and I didn't even know I had it in me to say all this. But I just said, mom, I love you. And I want you and dad to make the wise decision. And this is your decision to make. But I want you to understand something that if you have no quality of life left because they go in and and harvest this tumor out of you because it it so dramatically impacts your language center, I'm telling you, I'm not choosing that. We've got to be a little wiser about this. And I hate that this has happened, and I want you to have all the life you can, and I hate the fact that we're now down to months. You know? I mean, we're not talking years. We're talking months. But I said, I, I... I have thought this, and it's as if the Spirit of God has impressed this on me, but I sense that there is some kind of a special grace in all this from God, and that is this. Most of us live our lives, and we take every day we have for granted. We just do. It's like we live going, "Now yeah, I'm going to live 80, 90, 100 years. I have no idea, but I'm sure that's what it's going to look like. We don't know that, you guys, as we've prayed about already this morning. And for my mom, I could tell her, Mom, here's the thing. Somewhere in this, there is this little piece of grace of God saying, here's what's coming. The day is coming soon that you're going to come home and be with me. And she does know her Savior. But, and now you get the chance to live well, to love well, to prepare well. And and, and some point here is going to be the dying well. And I hate that for you. And I hate that for our family. But that's the situation we're in. Since then, God in His kindness led us to another uh, referral we got. We ended up at UT Southwestern, an amazing doc compared to what we experienced at Plano. And they have removed the tumor. It turned out it was not in the language center. It was actually in the sight center, pressing into the language center. So all those language things, have all they're coming back. She's lost some vision, but... And we now think she may have, it may be, uh, maybe even a couple of years. You guys, all I'm t- is saying is that if you think that, that your pursuit of God is not going to be filled with trials and tribulations, you're crazy. God in His compassion, God in His love for you. Y'all hear me say this? In His love for you, He wants you. Whoa, Sorry. He wants us. It keeps falling off here. I think the cord. I'm sitting on it. There it is. You love it when it happens at a strategic moment. He wants us to have our faith forged. It's going to be forged as you go through things that you did not expect. And all these things are going on with the disciples or with the the, the crowd. And then I love what happens next. Jesus turns to the twelve. And he says to these guys in, in verse 67, he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered. Remember what had happened to Simon the night before. Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. It's almost like he's saying, if, if there was, can you turn me down just a little bit, Caleb? If there was anywhere we could go, if there, was, if there was any place where we would know we could find the answers to life, man, we would be there. Because you sure don't make it easy, but you have the answers to life. And so we are here. We remain yours And you guys, that's how your faith gets forged. It is through these these tough experiences that we go through that we learn and that those around us learn. This is legit. And in the journey of getting to know our God, I'm telling you, when you first came to profess your faith, you didn't yet know fully who your God was. You all get that? To some degree, you were worshiping a God that was not fully formed in your life yet. But the longer your life goes on, the more you have an accurate picture of who Jesus is. And it will always be a little bit different than what you expect. He will not be domesticated. He will not be put in a box. He will not be tamed because of what I want to happen in my life. But I can tell you this. I'm standing in the confidence that these guys are standing on when they declare that we believe that you have the answers to life. Where else can we go? So we worship. And one of these days, you guys, the veil will be lifted. The veil of this, of this life and this reality, and we're going to understand the world for the way it really is. We're going to see what, what lies behind the veil of this tangible reality and we're going to go, whoa, I had no idea. That may be a more truer reality than this one that we live in. And our faith is going to be so manifest at that point. It is going to be so clear those who said, Lord, I trust you. My expectations at times are just, are just shattered, but I trust you. I trust that you are good. I trust that you are faithful. And I'm going to follow you. Today we sang in big church, Good, Good Father. And I just thought I'd wrap up with these, some of these words. I love this song, you guys. I love this song. It says, I've, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think that you're like. But I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night. And you tell me that you're pleased. And that I'm, I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It, that really is who you are. It's, it's, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. And that's who I am. I'm one who is known and loved by you. And he goes on, and, and I've seen many searching for answers far and wide. And I know that, that really we're all searching for answers that only you can provide because you know just what we need before we say a word, because you're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. Let me just wrap up with one little excerpt out of Psalm 71. I was reminded of this as I went through this whole time and I shared it with my mom. I just said this, it's Psalm 71, verses 14 and 15. And then verses 20 and 21, he says, But as for me, I will always have hope, and I will praise your name more and more, and my mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. I do not know the measure of your love, God. I do not know the the depth of my salvation. I don't understand fully what that cost me, and I don't yet understand all the things that I'm going to cling to you for yet in my life. And then 20 and 21 says, Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again from the depths of the earth. You will again bring me up, and you will increase my honor and comfort me once again. And that's my confidence, you guys. Let me pray, and then I've got some discussion questions for you guys. Just about three of them there that you can look at for a few minutes. Father, thank you for for the confidence that we have, that, that you have really revealed who you are in your word and father we just acknowledge our our not a subject that that many love to talk about but father we have rebellious hearts we have independent hearts we have hearts that, that want to make demands on you and then when you don't do what we want we want to to feel like we're justified in walking away and so it seems with so many of the masses that left Jesus on that day but father there are those who would say even though it's hard even though you do, you do what we don't expect Father, we know that you have the answers to life. So, Father, I pray for these, no matter where we're at, whether it's on the periphery, whether it is uh, in a place of, of, of just denial right now, or if it's a place of seeking to walk with you, Father, I pray that uh, through uh, this series that this group is going through, Father, I pray that they would realize the beauty of doubts, uh, that the benefits and, and how that really gives birth, when we wrestle honestly with them, how it really gives birth uh, to, to genuine faith, deep faith, faith, abiding faith. So thank you, Father, for your goodness. In the name of, our, of your Son, Jesus, amen. Thanks, you guys. Spend, uh, I think you've got about seven minutes you can spend in discussion around those questions. Thanks.